0: Today's reading is Matthew 25:31 through46. "When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people from one another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, and he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated.
1: Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to see you all today. Glad you made it out. Um, if you would, just right off the bat, if you are comfortable, will you just bow your heads and pray with me over this message? Father, I, uh, I feel the weight of talking about a really difficult topic today. Uh, but Lord, we are thankful for your word, for all of it. And I pray over this time that you will help us, Lord, to, uh, to know you better, to love you better because of that knowledge. Thank you that your spirit is here helping us to know what your word has to say for us. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Well, think with me a little bit this morning. What is something that you're currently waiting for? What is something you're currently waiting for? Waiting is hard, isn't it? I mean, whether you're waiting in traffic, you're waiting on hold, you're waiting in line, you're waiting for a call, a text, an email, a retweet, a like, One particular type of waiting was actually really hard for me when I was a little kid, and I gave myself all sorts of opportunities to experience this type of waiting. And it happened when I would get caught doing something wrong, my parents would send me to my room where I would wait while they decided what my punishment was going to be. And the time that I spent in my room waiting for this actually was way worse than the punishment was. I think my parents knew this. A true story, when I was really little, I would spend most of this time on my face in my room begging God to send Jesus back before my parents could decide what my punishment would be. <laughs> obviously, obviously, those prayers were never answered. The hardest part about waiting is the uncertainty, isn't it? Think about that thing that you're waiting for currently and just imagine with me what it would be like if you knew exactly how it was going to turn out. Imagine what it would be like if you knew when the money was going to come in that you need to pay this month's bills or last month's. Imagine if you knew exactly how it was going to go when you reach out to that person who you're estranged from, that family member, that friend, when you look for reconciliation with them. Imagine how it would go. Well, that would change everything, wouldn't it? I mean think of what it would be like to to never have to feel that uncertainty, that that anxiety of not knowing how something's going to turn out. You could be totally present in this moment. You'd you'd have peace. You'd have joy. You would have this weight lifted off of you. But that's just wishful thinking, right? Well, actually, no. Now, hear me. I'm not going to stand up here and predict how every single one of the things you're waiting for is going to go out. That would be foolish. But... There is one thing that we wait for that we can know for sure about. And it's what we're talking about today. Today we've come to the end of our series. We've spent the summer asking the question, does it really matter what we believe? Whatever the topic might be, does it, does it have implications for our everyday life, the way we live? And we've asked that question about God, about sin, about judgment, about, I oh, don't know, judgment's today, uh, sin and the church, And here we are, we're closing out the series, appropriately, asking the question, does it really matter what we believe about the end? Now, If you're visiting here this weekend, if you're new to church, if you don't call yourself a Christian, you picked an awesome weekend to come because you get to watch us struggle through a really difficult topic together. But let me tell you something right off the bat, we're not going to do it the way you've seen it done before. I'm not going to stand up here and predict when this is going to happen. We're not going to have some heady, academic, detached conversation about the people and the years and the, and the countries and how all this stuff is going to play out. Instead, we're going to see this morning that what we believe about the end has very real and very important implications on how we live our life every single day. And if we miss those implications, we miss the whole point of talking about the end. So if you haven't already, please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 25, we're starting in verse 31. If you're using one of our community Bibles, you'll find it on page 539. and We're going to see in our passage today the words of Jesus himself, that Jesus tells us the most important thing about the end is that we live right now with the end in mind. We live right now with the end in mind. Now, you all are such thoughtful listeners, very smart people here today, so you're probably asking a couple questions when I make that statement. First is the why. Prove it, right? Prove to me that I need to end, that I need to live right now with the end in mind. If you can be convinced of that, then you'll ask the question, how? How do we live right now with the end in mind? So let's take the, the why first. Jesus gives us three reasons in the passage we heard read today that we need to live right now with the end in mind. And the first is because the end is coming. The end is coming. You may have in your mind right now a picture of me standing like on a street corner with one of those sandwich boards over me that says the end is nigh and I'm preaching through a bullhorn to a crowd. Just go ahead and push that image right out of your mind um, and see, look at the text with me and see that. It's not me saying this, but in fact it's Jesus himself. Matthew, who wrote this book, who wrote this Account of who Jesus was. was one of the original 12 guys that Jesus hung out with all throughout his ministry. And when that was over, Matthew took some time to write down as much as he could remember and pass along what it was like to experience Jesus' ministry. And this, what we're looking at today, is actually an insider look at a conversation that took place just with Jesus and his disciples. That started when a disciple asked the question, When is this going to be? When is the end going to be? And Then Jesus goes on for like two whole chapters. Do you ever ask someone a question that's just like, just give me a date, like a yes or no question, and then they go on for like two chapters? Well, that's what happens here. But listen to how Jesus responds to that question. This is so fascinating. He says, but concerning the day and the hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, listen to this, nor the Son, but the Father only. We can't know when the end is coming because Jesus himself doesn't know. Just a pastoral aside, if anybody ever comes and tells you that they figured out when the end is going to be, which, shockingly enough, pastors all throughout the history of church have done. If somebody ever tells you that they figured out when the end is going to be, run away from them, or just generally don't spend a lot of time listening (laughs) to what they have to say, because if Jesus doesn't know when the end is going to be, it's a fair bet we're not going to figure it out. But even though we can't know when the end will come, We can know that it will come. All throughout this conversation with his disciples, Jesus talks about his return as a certainty, and that includes the passage that we're taking a look at today. Notice with me how he starts in verse 31 by saying, When the Son of Man comes in his glory. When the Son of Man comes in his glory. Not if. Basically, we hear Jesus saying, Look, even I don't know when this is going to happen, but I can tell you that it will and when it does, here's how it's going to go. The return of Jesus, which marks the end of history, is a matter of if. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. Here's how our statement of faith puts it We believe in the personal, bodily, and premillennial return of our Lord Jesus Christ. The coming of Christ at a time known only to God demands constant expectancy. And as our blessed hope motivates the believer to godly living, sacrificial service, and energetic mission. We must live with this, the phrase in that statement, the constant expectancy. So let me ask us this question. How will Jesus find us living when he comes back? What will he catch us doing? Who will he catch us worshiping? In this conversation, that's the very question that Jesus poses to his disciples. Remember, this is a matter of when, not if, which means Jesus is as likely to come back 10,000 years from today as he is to come back by the end of this sentence. That would have been really cool. Now look, you might be feeling a little bit manipulated right now, especially if you're new to this, this church thing or to Christianity. You've heard this message before. And people, you feel the pressure to, be, to make this decision, to make this uninformed and quick decision. And I get it. I mean, all too often in our culture, people use urgency to get us to do something. You know, the cars are flying off a lot. Better get down here. Everybody wants this house. The sale ends Monday. Don't miss your opportunity to do this or buy that. But the difference is that I'm not trying to sell you anything today. I didn't make up this story to get you to come back next week and put money in the offering plate. I'm not interested in any of that. I'm simply this morning restating what God has revealed to us is true about our reality. And because I'd hate it, I would hate it if Jesus came back and found us out of place because no one had the courage to tell us we needed to be ready. So, do we live in this reality? do our actions reflect a constant expectancy that the end is coming? Because the end is coming. And that's the first reason we need to live right now with the end in mind. Second, we need to live right now with the end in mind because the end has judgment. The end has judgment. Look with me at Jesus' words in verse 41. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. This is a hard topic, isn't it? Hell and judgment are two of the biggest stumbling blocks always for the Christian faith. I can't tell you how many times I've heard the question asked, how could a loving God send people to hell? But actually, even though many people would object to Christianity on these grounds, very many more actually look to judgment as their only means for hope. People all throughout history who have lived lives of oppression and slavery and abuse have no other hope, if not, that Jesus is coming back and he will set right all the wrongs that have happened. That sentiment is what's captured in songs like we sang this morning, Swing Low, Sweet Chariot, sung in the fields of slavery, as people remembered to themselves and out loud that Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. This isn't forever forever. This isn't forever. He will come back and rescue us, carry us home. We want judgment. We want the good deeds in this world to be rewarded and the bad ones to be punished. But then we get a little bit concerned about exactly who gets judged and exactly who does the judging. So we ask, how can a loving God send people to help? Well, there's not enough time today or this month really to do justice to that question. But let me just offer one answer That Jesus gives us in this text and it is this no one who wants to go to heaven will end up in hell No one who wants to go to heaven will end up in hell Now before you start your campaign to get me fired or beat me up in the alley afterwards Let's just get on the same page about a couple things Um, There's been some disagreement about what the experience of hell will be like when people go there Um, And I recently got forwarded this article from GQ of all places (laughs) Um, and it made this attempt to update both the Ten Commandments and hell. So, here, let me give you the ten amenities of the new hell. Number one, a broken iPhone charger. Remember, this is for eternity. Number two, all football games shown are Cleveland Browns versus Cleveland Browns. Number three, Burger King grease dumpster air fresheners. Number four, mandatory evening readings of Yahoo comments. Number five, all coffee is decaf. It's getting heavy. Number six, crocs. Number seven, Harvard graduates constantly angling for a way to bring the conversation back to their time at Harvard. Number eight, no restaurants accept reservations or credit cards. Number nine, 24 hour a day passing of child sized kidney stones. And number 10, fire because you don't mess with a classic. The problem, however, it's, it's usually not actually in defining hell. When we ask this question, how can a good God send people to hell? How can a loving God send people to hell? The problem is not in defining hell. It's actually in defining heaven. Most people get tripped up here because they misunderstand what heaven will be, thinking that it's all about the individual who goes there. That might lead us to have questions like, well, in my heaven, I'll be on a beach reading a book. But in your heaven, you'll be at a party with a ton of people. Let me tell you something. This is not how heaven's going to go. I mean, those elements are part of heaven, but heaven is primarily about being in the presence of God, about worshiping him forever, about living and existing in the design with which he created us. So if someone has shown themselves to not want to have anything to do with worshiping God in this world, why in the world would they want to go to a place where they're going to do it for eternity? And nothing else. So if someone isn't worshiping God in this life, why would they want that? Heaven will be a glorious setting. It'll be, it'll be such an unbelievable, amazing place to live the way we were designed. And anybody who wants that, to spend an eternity worshiping God, is not going to end up in hell. Okay, are you with me? I know we're going through some tough stuff today. There are those, and Jesus kind of metaphorically refers to them as goats, In this passage, there are those who don't want that, who have shown themselves to be uh, people who don't want to worship God. And they leave evidence to this effect. Listen to what Jesus has to say during a sermon he preached. So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit, Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by our fruit. The diseased tree produces the bad fruit of self interest, of refusing to worship God. And they are cut down and thrown into the fire. But notice in our passage, notice in our passage that they don't belong there. Who was the eternal fire prepared for? It says here into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. This fire was not meant for humans to be there, but they go there when they refuse to worship God and when they choose to worship themselves. And God ratifies that choice. We all want judgment. We get scared about who's being judged, and we also get a little bit scared about who's doing the judging. But the good news is that the one who is sitting on the throne in this passage is God himself. He is all-knowing, which means his judgments take everything into effect in a way that ours never could. He's abounding in love and mercy, which means his goal is not to catch people and doing something wrong and send them to hell. It's good news that Jesus sits on the throne to judge. It's our only hope that the evil things of this world will be dealt with finally and forever. And it's the only hope for the oppressed and abused and enslaved of this world that there is something better to come. If that describes you this morning, you can have hope, not fear, about the last day. For those of us who are in Christ, like I said, this is a very complex topic, and I don't think that I have solved it for all time now. Um, and if this, if this is something that for you is a hang-up, and it has been for me too, um, come and find me after the service. Let's set up a time to talk about it. I'd love to wrestle through this together. But for now, let me ask us this question as we think about the fact that the end has judgment. What type of fruit are we producing? Do we show ourselves to be a diseased tree or a healthy tree? Now remember, if you were here last week, we talked about this. This is an issue of progress, not perfection. You don't need to be perfect in every area of your life. But the question is, are you growing? Putting on the character of God as revealed to us in Jesus and putting off sin. One more article from our Statement of Faith. This is the last one um, that sums this up. We believe that God commands everyone everywhere to believe the gospel by turning to him in repentance and receiving the Lord Jesus Christ. We believe that God will raise the dead bodily and judge the world, assigning the unbeliever to condemnation and eternal conscious punishment, and the believer to eternal blessedness and joy with the Lord in the new heaven and the new earth to the praise of his glorious grace. And this leads us to the third reason we need to live right now with the end in mind. And that is that the end is the beginning. The end is the beginning. Look with me at Jesus' words in verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, "Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world." Do you hear the shift in language there? Whereas hell was not prepared for people to be in it, but they go there anyways. Heaven, the kingdom was prepared for people. And it's not on human merit. It's not that they got their act together. And then God started preparing a kingdom for him. This was his plan from the foundation of the world. Before he even started creating, God's plan was to dwell forever with his people, with his creation, that they would worship him and find fullness of meaning in living in a worshipful, restful relationship with him. this was his plan. This is the invitation to the sheep those who have shown that they love what Jesus loves. Well, let's make an important distinction here. They didn't get there because they earned it. The sheep are not on the right, are not invited into the kingdom because they did all the right things or some cosmic scale tips in the right direction because they're sheep. They're not smart enough to do that. When I was in college, I was actually, I was a TA for one year and one of the funniest things for me is when I would grade papers and when people would plagiarize, and they were really bad at it. Because they would just have all of these sentences, and, and misspelled words, and, and all sorts of stuff wrong, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, the paper would take on this like PhD dissertation level tone, and it was brilliant. And when that happened, I knew that that person had help. In the same way, when we see someone over on the side of the sheep, being invited into heaven... We know that they must have had help because they can't earn that on their own. And the help is what Jesus has done for us because Jesus is the one who lived the perfect life that he describes here because he died a perfect death to pay back our debt and because death couldn't hold him down, he rose again to the new life that he offers us. This is what Jesus has done for us. So really, the verdict for the sheep doesn't come at the end. The verdict for the sheep has already been cast. Jesus was treated as if he lived our life so that we could be treated as if we lived his. And that work is finished. That's the essence of the gospel. And that's why I keep this up by my desk. It's a judge's gavel. It was given to me as a gift, and it's come to be really significant to me because every day I look at this, I remember that I am not on trial anymore. That the verdict for me has already been cast because Jesus has achieved it for me. And if you are in Christ, if you have professed faith that He alone is your hope for salvation, you are not on trial either. That work is finished which means when the last day comes. We don't look forward to it with a spirit of fear, wondering what's going to happen. Was I good enough? Is he going to love me? Is he going to let me in? No, we look, we look to it as a day of hope because that's the day, that's the day when the life we were meant to live, we were created and designed to live, begins on that day. So we pray and hope for Jesus to come. But the writers of Scripture are clear that true faith in the forgiveness offered by Jesus Christ, it must be accompanied by good works because we're not diseased trees anymore. We're healthy trees, and healthy trees produce good fruit. But this encouragement, this is why Paul writes at the end, uh, when he writes about the end, rather, he he concludes the section by saying this, Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Because when we talk about the end, for those of us who are in Christ, it's a matter of encouragement that we can endure whatever circumstances going on, whatever we're waiting for in this life, we can endure because the last day is coming. Because Jesus is coming back, and when he does, we will be free of all the things in this life that hold us back from worshiping him. We'll be free of those things. So why should we live right now with the end in mind? Because the end is coming. Because the end has judgment. Because the end is the beginning. So if you find yourself compelled by this, to live life right now with the end in mind, then you're asking yourself, how? How do we do this? It's a very smart question. Congratulations for coming up with that. Um, Let me suggest three ways that... Right now, we can live with the end in mind. First, we live right now with the end in mind by waiting, hopefully. By waiting, hopefully. But this isn't kind of the, way, the kind of waiting that we talked about at the beginning of the message where there's this urgency and we don't know what's, what's going to happen and, and there's all sorts of anxiety. No, 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 this is the kind of waiting that a little kid does on Christmas Eve because Santa's coming. This is the kind of waiting that a little kid does the day before you leave for Disney World. You're so overcome with joy and excitement. You can't sleep. You don't go down to, to bed at the right time, right? You're so excited by what is coming that the only thing you can do is wait for it with hope, with excitement because of what it means when Jesus comes back. So we, we live with, by waiting hopefully. Second, we live right now with the end in mind by working faithfully by working faithfully. All throughout church history, even in the very first generation of the church, people have misunderstood what it means to live with the the end in mind. They realize, well, Jesus is coming back, and it could happen at any moment, which makes this life kind of, not pointless, but uh, we're going to go ahead and just withdraw from our jobs and our earthly responsibilities and go live in a cave or a field somewhere and just wait for Jesus to come back. But the fact that the end is coming is actually not a reason for us to withdraw. In fact, it's quite the opposite. Because the end is coming, we must lean into our daily responsibilities all the more. Because our time to steward what God has given us, to make sure that the least among us, that the most vulnerable flourish, is short. Because the end is coming, we must work faithfully. And third... We live right now with the end in mind by witnessing urgently. Christians, the fact that the end is near must spur us on to take every opportunity to give a reason for the hope that is within us. To find every chance to preach the gospel in word and deed, whether we're at home, we're, we're in our communities, we're at, we're at, we're we are, we are, we're at, wow, we are, at our jobs? <laughs> it didn't seem hard, right? <laughs> Wherever we are, we must witness urgently because it is urgent. The end is coming. And we ought to take that seriously by corporately and individually preaching the gospel to our city. Now, if, if you're here this morning, you don't call yourself a Christian um, those kind of application points probably don't really have a lot of, of weight for you, and I recognize that. So let me just say this. It's a good thing to ask questions. It's a good thing to be thoughtful about what we believe and to work out our faith. But let me also tell you that you're never going to have all of your, ans- your questions answered. You're never going to have all of your doubts relieved. Don't wait forever to take a step of faith and to put your trust in Jesus alone as your hope for salvation. Well, there it is. We must live right now with the end in mind because the end is coming. The end is coming, which means we need to live differently because it would be unspeakably sad if Jesus came back and found his church not ready, not preaching the gospel, not bringing people into the kingdom. So as we hear this word this morning, let's commit as a church to living life with the end in mind. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the whole counsel of your word. Thank you, Lord for a message for us to remember, a day of hope that is coming for us. Lord, I pray, I pray that you will help us as we commit to living a life with the end in mind that we would wait expectantly for that day, that we would work faithfully and that we would witness urgently so that you might be glorified. We pray all these things in your son's name. Amen.